So the whole thrust of scripture is that generations work with generations to know God and to live for Him. Hey everyone and welcome to the last episode of season one of the Dad and Lad podcast. My name is Jonathan and I'm with my dad Lawson and we serve with Scripture Union. Today's episode is a really a summary of all that we've talked about in this first season. It's becoming intergenerational. As we started this season, we talked about grandparents and their crucial role in the faith formation of children. Then we looked at parents and their God-given appointment to raise children. Then we talked about families in the greater context. And then we even looked at why and what and the purpose of children's ministry. And we defined that. So bringing this all together, this does seem to be the logical conclusion and the main emphasis in this last episode of what we're trying to driving, uh, what we're trying to put forward. And that is that we need to become intergenerational from old to young. We all need to be interconnected, interdependent, and we need to um, serve and grow together as God's people. Here we go. Um, Do you, uh, Dad, let's let's just jump right in. Um, First question I have for you is, in thinking about becoming intergenerational, I just want to just cite uh, Professor Holly Allen and Christine Ross. They use two two key words, and they say that becoming intergenerational is crucial and catalytic. And so can you just unpack why it is crucial and catalytic that we grow together as God's people? Sure. So as we are talking about this, we're obviously talking about it in the context of the local church, mm-hmm. uh, not in the community at, yeah. at large. How we bring together, as you've already said, all the different age groups in the local church. And, and I like how you've started with uh, looking to those professors and their comment about it being crucial and catalytical. Uh, it's crucial, number one, for biblical reasons, mm-hmm. because the scriptures define uh, us primarily as family, as the people of God. So if that's the definition given to us biblically, we need to look at how that actually translates into practice in the local church. What does that look like? And so that's what we will obviously explore in this uh, session. So it's crucial for that reason. It's catalytical because faith formation takes place best when we involve the different age groups together. there are, there are many studies and many life experiences. In fact, I can think of many even with, uh, with my own children, <laughs> you and your brother and sister, mm-hmm. where as we've practiced being an intergenerational community in the church together, that has been uh, a way for our faith to be formed mm-hmm. uh, vibrantly and well. Yeah, to produce health and growth. Yeah. So I, I think yeah, that's enough as we get get started. And just to touch on that word catalytic, for anyone unsure, from my science background, when you were running an experiment, you add a catalyst, and right. suddenly things that were going really slow, you add a catalyst, and boom, it speeds up, and you get in a greater efficient yield of like if you're making that. a product. Mm-hmm. And so when we think of the word catalytic, we're talking about... When we bring God's people together and we don't just keep them in age-segregated pods of ministry, Mm -hmm. when they actually do ministry together, two things happen. One, we see a vibrancy Mm -hmm. and a greater efficiency of impact in the community and sharing the gospel. And we also see a greater impact of discipleship. 
and we see greater life um, in that word catalytic, which is so true. And so I have another question for you because often we think, and even as we talked about in the very first episode of grandparents' crucial role and they can't check out, that they really need to be seen mm-hmm. as key influencers. We, we've really been touching on the idea of how grandparents and older adults and parents are influencing the children. But I want to flip that question because mm-hmm. in the becoming intergenerational, how also do children impact grandparents, adults? What's the benefit of um, having children in the midst of intergenerational times together as a church? Wow, that's a good question. I think there's a whole lot of good answers for that. The first one that springs to mind, even as you ask that, is children keep us honest. Hmm. There's something that happens when children are around that takes away some of the pretense and posturing that happens when adults are just with adults. We sort of play the adult game, if you like. But when children are there, we're more honest. We tend to be more real. Hmm. Uh, and, and I think that's really helpful because that's what we need in, in our faith walk, don't we? we? We need honesty. Well, one of the things I've appreciated in seeing how children also impact those, that setting within the church context is my wife and I, we run a, a life group, um, mm-hmm. which is a small group. But our small groups at our, at our local church are intergenerationally involved. So we have children and seniors all mm-hmm. in our home. Mm-hmm. And there's not a lot of us, but we literally have all demographics usually on a typical night. And what happens is, especially when we're unpacking the story or the word, the scripture, mm-hmm. we all have to do, we all have to recognize to not just hide behind theological words. Um, we have to simplify it in a way, mm-hmm. but what ends up happening and the reason why we all love it is because we all go away with a profound sense of what the main message and the main truth is. Because there's something to be said about if you can say things simply to a child, you're saying it in the most profound way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when children also answer questions and, and maybe in the, in the way of unpacking the text, you get profound truths because they're seeing it through a very... Um, yeah, honest. I think that's a great word. Honest lens. Right. And um, so, yeah, older people also need children. And so uh, there's a good dynamic there. Um, in this whole in this whole topic of becoming intergenerational, I just want to look at that word becoming. Um, can you unpack why it's not just become intergenerational? Why we're using the word becoming <laughs> as a distinction? Absolutely. I think we need to first recognize that our tendency in culture is to be age segregated. Mm. Uh, we, we grow up in schooling systems that place us uh, in, in, class, in classes that are divided by age. We go on to the workplace where younger people tend to have certain entrance level jobs, which are different to what older people may be doing in the workplace and so on. And and, and in life, generally, you get to the place where you retire and, and then you gather around with other seniors. And, and so we are age segregated in our thinking culturally Interesting. and socially. And, and so the church, because we are, whether we like it or not, in the church profoundly influenced by culture, we, we then tend to think in age segregated uh, forms and, sure. and we put people into their groupings hmm. if you like now there's a place for that and it's a socio-biological fact that different generations engage with and view 
faith and and relationships within the family of God in different ways. And so you need you need that on one level. Mm-hmm. But there's also the recognition, and this is why I think I like the word becoming intergenerational. There's the recognition that we we have to work at it. Mm-hmm. That we've got to because it's not natural culturally. We've got to consist. We've got to continually think: How do I connect with a younger person, or how do I connect with an older person, or or what activity could we do that could embrace? Uh, two or three or even four generations of people together when we're planning activities in the church. And if we're not thinking like that, it's not going to happen. We, we're more likely going to drop into those age-segregated groups. Yeah, a good point in the sense of how we need to be distinct from culture and we need to see ourselves as uh, the family of God. Mm-hmm. And just just unpacking this a bit more before we go into the practical details of how we can grow in becoming intergenerational. Um, where do we see the theological conviction for this? We're talking about this. Um, we, we recognize that we see this in God's word. Um, the first thing that comes to mind for me, but maybe you can elaborate on some more, is the Shema, where it says, Hear, O Israel, and the call of mm-hmm. hear all of God's people um, in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And it goes on to talk about He's not just talking to the adults. He's saying all together, you're going to grow and following me and be obedient to me, mm-hmm. what God calls people. Um, but where do we see, where do we see this uh, throughout scripture as why are we really emphasizing this, not just from the, the, the practical and beneficial sense of bringing them together? Where right. do we see the theological conviction? Yeah, so just before Deuteronomy 6, the passage that comes to mind with in my thinking, is Deuteronomy 4 verse 9. I don't have it open in front of me, but I do know Deuteronomy 4 verse 9 speaks about passing on our faith from generation to generation hmm. to generation. Uh, Psalm 78 uh, has the same idea where we uh, declare the works and wonders of God from generation to generation. Mm-hmm. So, so the whole thrust of Scripture is that generations work with generations to know God and to live for him. Hmm. And uh, you've rightly uh, quoted Deuteronomy uh, 6. Uh, but there, there are a number of other places as well where, where the idea is uh, young and old together are learning from one another about what it is to, to be God's people. And not just in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament, we see this recognition that when the church was called and formed, especially in the book of Acts, they didn't just get segregated off when the apostles say, okay, we're going to do the teaching now, you go off. There was a togetherness. It actually uses the word together multiple times in in the book of Acts there. And we actually see across the whole New Testament, in your article, you recognize that there is 59 times across the whole New Testament that the word one another is used in speaking of God's people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so what do these statements, what is that even that statement, one another, what is that really getting to? <laughs> the, the picture that immediately comes to mind is a picture of Jesus speaking to a whole lot of people. Mm. And I picture all the men up close, because that's tended to be how society divided back then, and the woman maybe in the background with the children. 
And then these mums and their children pressing through the crowd because they want Jesus to bless their children, which uh, which prophets and priests did in those days. It was mm. part of their role. And the men uh, trying to shoo them away and say, no, we're busy now, which is what the Bible tells us happened. The disciples didn't want them to, to come to Jesus because they were talking about important stuff. Yeah. And Jesus says, let the little children come to me. And it's interesting because I was just reading that story in Mark, in Mark's account, just the other day. And often we've seen the picture, maybe you've seen these pictures of like Jesus sitting on a rock and in the outside context, kids are coming mm-hmm. while the disciples are around. But it actually says in the book of Mark, they were in the home. And while they were in the home, Jesus calls uh, a child and puts them in his arms and says to the disciples, let's bring this child right mm-hmm. front and center. So when we think of the home as the context back then of like the teaching time, getting into God's word, it mirrors what we understand as our Sunday celebration or services mm-hmm. when we as the church get together. And we see right in the New Testament this picture of don't put the children at the periphery or in the basement. Try to find ways to bring the children together, this one another, because that's what Jesus would have done. And so that includes both corporate worship. That includes many different ways of how we can think intergenerationally. And so... Mm-hmm. Before we continue, let's do a quick recap and also look going forward at how we can practically put intergenerational uh, focus in mind in our church context. Thanks so much for listening to the Dad and Lad podcast. In this final episode of season one, we've been looking at the idea of becoming intergenerational. It is crucial, it's catalytic, In the same way that children need older people for their faith formation, we've also looked at how older people and adults also need children to be vibrantly growing in their faith as well. I want to encourage you to look at theschoolofkidsmen.com. This is an online website with free children's ministry training resources for both parents, um, faith practitioners, pastors, leaders, volunteers. In any different way that you find yourself serving within kids ministry, the schoolofkidsmen.com will be your helpful training tool. It's free and it's a great resource. All right, let's get back into this episode. Okay, so let me ask you, Dad, how do we do this? Well, there's several things we need to do in the local church. One, we need to look at how we can worship Uh, together Mm. we need to obviously to be intergenerational we need to participate meaningfully in the core practices and main events of the church which includes everything from our sunday services through to what we do midweek both uh, in the church building and in our homes and in the community I've often thought about how important it is to recognize that that worship should never be commodified by an age group. It doesn't belong to one age group. Mm. And I've also thought about how worship needs to be something that is what God desires and wants, not what we like. And I think that's important because yeah. if we're thinking about worshiping young and old together, yeah. if we're thinking about having services where we're, we're all there, we, we can't then uh, say, well, we're just going to do it this way, which is what happens in many of our churches. We're saying we're going to do it this adult way. Or we're going to cater it for young adults. Or we're going to cater it for just for seniors. Yeah, or... That's if we're specializing it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we need to ask, how do we do this in a way in which 
everyone has a part to play and everyone feels welcomed mm. into into the reading of God's word and the playing of musical instruments and and even the preaching teaching needs to uh, connect across all age groups. And I don't think you can do that all the time. Yeah. But I do think we need to think seriously about how we can worship together. That would be my my first one. Has to be yeah, it has to be unified worship and from a modeling perspective too, children need to see adults worshiping together. There's more caught than taught when a, a child sees very um, his dad raising mm-hmm. his hands or surrendering, you know, or hands up or, or praying. Mm-hmm. Just by seeing it, mm-hmm. uh, there needs to be time, just exposure time mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. So important. So unified worship. Um, serving together, to, for me, just seems also like a natural outflow. If, if the gathering is this place for celebration, then also we need to recognize the going and serving, which serving can happen within... Uh, sure, a, a Sunday context, but more so missionally as well and mm-hmm. doing outreach events. And so when have you seen that done well? Do you have any particular memories within your pastoral background of uh, serving together old and young and how that was just impactful? I have so many great memories of of us doing it with different age groups. The one that immediately comes to mind, which is very special and I guess very personal, because it involves your older brother, Matt. But he often would come and stand with me after I'd finished preaching a message and I would walk to the back of the church, as pastors often do. And he'd come and stand with me and he'd shake hands Mm. with people and thank them for coming to church. But even there, he was learning and he was mimicking what I was modeling, Mm. but he was learning uh, the, the rituals, if you like, of being God's people. And I think it's no accident that today he serves part-time as a pastor mm. in a church because he he was doing some of that with me from when he was very young. Mm. Yeah, so true. Um, what else is a core ingredient? Unified worship, serving together. What's another core ingredient of becoming intergenerational? Uh, family retreats have always been uh, a big one for me yeah. because something profound happens when we spend quality time together, uh, when we have an opportunity to get close enough to each other to see Christ at work in each other. And in, at a family camp where you're spending 24-7 kind of time together, eating and and hanging out and everything, that's that's great. Do you have, uh, say, you know, as I'm thinking about that, yeah, have, have you got any memories of... Well, it's funny you mentioned, when I think of like the whole idea of intergenerational and my my experience growing up, I, I couldn't tell you some of the, the, the messages or the things that I learned necessarily wrote mm-hmm. growing up in our church context. But I remember the times together. I remember the potlucks. I remember the bonfires. And mm-hmm. I remember the retreats. Because there was something special about, it was just fun, right? There was an element of having fun together as God's people. And it's funny, even though I don't even exactly remember what we were learning together as God's people on those family retreats, I remember like sitting around the campfire and seeing like acting and the adults acting out stories. I remember um, worshiping together. um, And it was those relationships that Mm -hmm. that anchored me in the faith just because we, we spent time together. And um, yeah, great memories at family Bible camps, just camping out and being together with God's people. There, you you grow together when you can have fun mm-hmm. experiences together like that. You've used the word there, a little word, fun. Yeah, and and that leads me to another 
practical thing we can be doing as we cultivate becoming intergenerational. And that's fun activities together, which is different to family retreats. Now, they may be fun, but there's other activities that we can do together where we can laugh together and learn together and play together. So it, it involves some of the things you've already mentioned, you know, like potluck meals and, and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's, it gets down to saying, well, how can we have, for example, grandparents being invited to and being part of a youth event? Sure. And what might that look like? <laughs> that would be hilarious. And, and, so and have a fun thing, you know, that happens where you've got... Uh, grandchildren competing with their grandparents and there's lots of laughter and prizes and so on. I like this because I think when we think of the church context, we have this almost um, just this one idea of kind of particular emotion and behavior that needs to happen within Mm -hmm. our family church context. When we think of the whole extreme, if we can laugh together and cry together, Mm -hmm. um, and as God's people, if we can all experience that and grow, that's a growth Mm -hmm. when you're not just... Um, just it, it becomes organic and, and fun activities uh, start fostering just that just that bond of hey we are brothers and sisters in Christ from old to young and so yeah I love it um, so you've used that word together which leads to another very important practical consideration in all of this and this is how can we pray together mm. uh, and and I like thinking about that because it, 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 it helps me uh, recognize that, that prayer is, is not age-bound. Mm-hmm. Prayer is something that from youngest to oldest, we can do it together. And, and there's something very special that happens when, when little children pray with older people. Yeah. Uh, prayer becomes simpler. Yeah. Prayer becomes... Uh, very uh, direct. Mm -hmm. Little children don't beat around the bush with their language. Um, It becomes more intimate. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've learned intimacy from praying with with little children because they talk to God just like they talk to their mum and dad. Um, There's a humility with children, especially when they pray, which sometimes is lacking with adult prayers. So there's a two-way process in prayer that happens that I think is, is hugely beneficial uh, for us when we pray together. So that's another thing I would recommend, that we pray uh, together. Well, Jesus says when you, when you do pray, he said, don't just babble on. Don't use like fancy words. Don't mm-hmm. try to make yourself seem more important as he even, when Jesus looked at the story of the, the one Pharisee who prayed compared to the, the sinner mm-hmm. said, just Jesus, give me mercy. Mm-hmm. Lord, give me mercy. And you're right. When you pray with children... We can't just be using, there's a, there's a simplicity and honesty of just saying, mm-hmm. we're going to come together, we're going to pray, we're going to confess our sins. I know when I pray with my three-year-old daughter, every time before she goes to bed, they're just simple prayers. I'm using language, and it is a powerful time. It's a memorable time because mm-hmm. we're thinking about what we're thankful for God for the day, what we're asking for Him, mm-hmm. and we're just making it very simple. And that's how Jesus wants us to pray. So you're right, when we, we, we do that intergenerationally, we grow from one another in that sense. And so, yeah, these are some these are some just kind of like starting pieces of how we can become mm-hmm. intergenerational and hopefully some encouragements. And so I just have one more question as maybe uh, we've given off the false impression that in doing this, it's going to be easy. And this will be <laughs> the most uh, comfortable and uh, 
a thing going forward. Not true. Not but true. is it? <laughs> no, the reality for, for churches that are truly intergenerational is that it's messy. It's sometimes noisy. Yep. <laughs> it can be loud. I, I have pictures in my mind of, of being in a church service and some little kid just motoring around <laughs> and everybody watching that and completely distracted. Yep. Uh, it can be unpredictable. It can be disruptive. And it's really comfortable. And, and I think we have to fight against all of those things because our tendency is to bring order. Uh, but you can't necessarily, particularly with younger children, and we need to recognize that uh, we can't always think of intergenerational ministry as, as something that, that, that fits with our preference. Hmm. So I think that's one thing. I think another thing that we need to recognize is that there's no one-size-fits-all situation. Mm-hmm. Congregations are different, and the people that make up congregations are different. And so how we build those intergenerational connections will be unique in every context. Uh, So uh, we need to think about age-integrated approaches that work in in, in our local church. Another thing that I think we need to also look at is that it's hard for, for individuals in the church to figure out how to make friends across generational lines. Mm. Uh, we don't naturally think that way. So we're going to need help with that. Mm-hmm. We need leadership in church to be saying, how do we make this a priority? What do we do to make it happen? Mm-hmm. So there may need to be activities that are planned and so on. And then just uh, something that I've reflected on for some time over the years, I've recognized that proximity alone doesn't lead to the creation of a robust intergenerational uh, community. Hmm. I've, I've got a, a ministry friend uh, in Brazil who works with uh, children and, and works equipping pastors and churches down in Brazil. And, and she once said to me, she said, you know, we invite children to the party, but we don't invite them to the dance. Hmm. And, and I found that a very powerful comment because there can be the tendency to think that because we've simply got children with us that we're doing something intergenerational. Not at all, unless we have significantly thought of ways for them to take ownership of what's happening and to be fully involved in what's happening, we haven't actually moved to an intergenerational place. So that extra step, if you like, Hmm. is very challenging. And then one last comment as we start to wrap this up. I think we should also realize that bringing the whole church together is a culture and not a program. Hmm. And so that is, is a difficulty, if you like, makes it challenging because many of our churches are more geared to thinking programs than thinking about uh, the culture of who we are, of us naturally being inclined in a way. And so we've got to move to that place in the local church. And, and that requires a change of thinking requires a reorientation of values and so on Hmm. yeah good point is it going to be easy no is it going to be inconvenient and challenging yes Yes. will it require humility yes absolutely Mm -hmm. will it be crucial and catalytic absolutely Mm -hmm. and will it be in line with what god's word says absolutely i just want to read from psalm 78 to bring this to a close verse 4 And it says, we will not hide them 
the scriptures, and the knowing of God's word from our descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, of his power, and the wonders of what he has done. We will not hide it from the next generation. And so we, we need together, need to become more intergenerational. So take the next step. And thank you so much for listening to this season one of the Dad and Lad podcast. We so appreciate you as our listeners. Take care and God bless.